our church. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter number 5, and we're going to look at the first nine verses here, and then we'll be focusing specifically on verse number 9. The Bible says, In seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's read verse 9 together. Ready? Here we go. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Well, the title of the Bible study tonight is just a simple question. Are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? When you walk into a room and you walk into a relationship, is there more drama or less drama because you're there? Um, Is there strife everywhere you go or is there a sense of calm everywhere you go? So we're going to look at what that means tonight, what peace is and what it is not, how we get it, and whether or not we're peacemakers. Let's pray and ask God to bless us tonight. Lord, we do pray that you'd work in our hearts through the Bible study as we look in detail at what a peacemaker is. Help us to come to a conclusion on how well we do that, how often we do that. And Lord, um, may people see us and say, I want him or her on my team because they bring calm uh, to the stormy situations They must be a child of God. Lord, may that be what defines us and describes us. Help us, Lord, uh, to understand the Scriptures tonight. Bless us. Lord, use this in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you found that in your life or in the lives of those around you, people can be an elusive thing to get a hold of? Um, Peace can be an elusive thing to get hold of. You, you have one week where everything's great, then maybe another week you struggle. And uh, you're on top side, and then you have a headache. And then you feel good, and then you feel bad. And, uh, boy, you think, if life gets any better, I'm going to have to be twins to enjoy it all, right? And then the next week you just want to crawl in bed and pull the covers over your head and, wish, and pretend the world doesn't exist. Uh Getting hold of peace can be compared to trying to hold on to a wet bar of soap, right? You hold too loose, it's going to fall out of your hand. What happens when you squeeze too tight to a wet bar of soap? That thing goes flying, right? And uh, that can be what peace is like sometimes. There's an art to getting peace and holding on to it. If you, if you have felt that way, then you are not alone. In fact, only 8% of the time since the beginning of recorded history... Has the world been entirely at peace? In over 3,100 years of recorded history, only 286 have been warless. And 8,000 treaties have been broken over the last 3,100 years. 8,000 treaties have been stepped on. Even during times of international peace, when guns are not being fired and rockets are not being launched at an opposing ideology. There are people that live within these countries who are experiencing inner turmoil 
and depression and domestic fighting. On average, there is someone committing suicide on planet Earth every 15 minutes. During this service alone, there will be four to six people who will take their own lives. Why? Because in the world there is no peace. You've heard it said that statistically 50% of marriages end in divorce. I don't know if that accurate that number is accurate. My experience is that less than 50% of marriages end in divorce. I might just be in a Christian cocoon. Um, but nonetheless, it's higher than it ought to be. And divorce comes as there is a lack of peace within the marriage. Some folks have war in their marriage and they don't get a divorce. They just tolerate each other for a lifetime. Why? There's no peace. Many more statistics could be brought out to make the point. But the truth is that inner peace can be an elusive thing. Here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Christ takes finding peace to another level. Look back at verse 9. He says, Blessed... Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed. It is one thing to have found peace for yourself. It's a whole other ball game to be a peacemaker. All right? That's next level. That's more advanced. You know peace, but do you know how to give peace to others? Um, it ought to be said of, of you, Christian, that wherever you go, you bring calm to a situation. Wherever you go, things are calmer when you left than they were before you got there. Um, two artists entered a contest in which they were asked to draw a painting that would show and describe peace. All right? So two artists entered a contest. They're going to paint a painting. Blank canvas, and they finish the painting. You should be able to look at it and say, that right there, yes, that right there is, uh, a, a picture is worth, what do they say, a thousand words? That right there is a picture, a thousand words that describe peace. So one artist drew a lake, and the lake looked like a sheet of glass. You ever looked at water that didn't have any movement to it? It was just, it was just calm. Um, I've been told that uh, by people who sell the oceans, I've, at least I've read, that on some mornings you wake up way out in the middle of the ocean and the water is like a sheet of glass. There's no wind and it's just, it's just peaceful, right? We think of ocean water. We think of the beach, right, where it just comes coming in wave after wave. But you get way out in the ocean and there are times where there's no movement. Uh, I like to sit out on, uh, look out at the river behind the church here it would be that way, okay? And um, you have high tide and low tide, and the sound is just right down there. And so when you have uh, one tide or the other, the water's moving different directions. And sometimes I'll look out at that river, and the water's not moving. It's that sheet of glass. So this artist painted a sheet of glass, a, a, a lake that was a sheet of glass, and had a man lazily sitting in a rowboat. The skies were blue with a few puffy clouds. There were a few birds that flew that were flying overhead in the painting. And so that's what he entered into the contest about peace. Another artist was crowned the winner, but he took a totally different approach. 
He painted a picture of a fast-paced waterfall with water that was uh, raging to, to its edge. Right next to the edge of the waterfall was a mother bird that had made a nest on a tree limb. And uh, this limb hung out over the waterfall. Beneath this mother's mother bird's wings sat her newly hatched babies. These babies had learned that even though the environment was loud and tumultuous, they could find peace and serenity under the arms of their, mo- of their mother. You see, the placement of the nest kept dangerous animals away. Being right by this waterfall, there were no dangerous animals to attack that nest. And so even though the environment was tumultuous, the mother had found a place of calm and peace. Before this mother bird could bring peace to her babies, she first had to find peace within herself. You understand that? She couldn't let the raging waterfall affect her. She had to be calm enough to absorb that, be calm inside of her own spirit, and then bring that calm to her baby birds. For the Christian, peace is not found in the absence of danger. Write this down. Peace is not found in the absence of danger, but rather in the presence of God. Peace is not found from the absence of danger, but rather in the presence of God. Peace is not found in the absence of danger, but rather in the presence of God. When we learn His peace, then we can enter into the realm of providing that peace to those who can't seem to find it on their own. So, people at your job, right, sometimes you got people doing things that are crazy at work. People are, people are a mess, right? Your boss is triangulating to get himself a raise, and he's stepping on you in the process. Uh, you have someone say something, and they're, they're not keeping their word, and you need someone to give you something so a timeline can be met. you, you got to email after email, ride their case, and they're just not doing their job, right? And your voice is being ignored maybe at work, and you feel like work is a mess. Maybe you go home. And home is supposed to be a place of refuge where you can just kind of go, I'm home. Everything's okay. Some people go home and they hate being home, right? They'd rather get in their car and ride around town than be home. They'd rather go for a walk around the block than be home because someone is not peaceful at home. So where do you find peace when you live in a world that lacks it? You find peace existing and living yourself in the presence of God. And then, when you learn peace in that tumultuous workplace environment or home environment or wherever it is, you can then absorb their lack of peace and you can even give them peace and you can be someone who is a peacemaker. I believe that God's desire and plan for you is to know personally the God of peace and then to share that peace with others around you. I also believe that when we are calm during life's trials, that we are identified by others as being the children of God. Someone looks at you and says, how are you able to, something's different about you, how are you able to handle this? Well, I'm a Christian. 
oh, well, that makes sense. Um, they, they say, how are you able to stay so calm when you've been so mistreated? You've been, you, you had someone malign, uh, uh, malign and manipulate you or mistreat you or take something from you. How are you able to stay so calm? Well, I'm a Christian. Oh, well, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Five thoughts this evening that will help us to not only find peace, but be peacemakers. All right? Let's jump in to the outline. Take notes as you go. Number one, notice the pain of sinful pride. The pain of sinful pride. The motto of the Apollo 11 flight was this. We come in peace for all mankind. Now, we know the Apollo 11 went where? Went to the, went to the moon, right? Um, this motto was on the plaque which was deposited on the face of the moon. We might have some people in here that don't believe we ever actually went to the moon. All right? You can save your conspiracies for another time. All right? Okay. Stick with the illustration here. All right? Um, the landing was on the, watch this now, Sea of Tranquility. That word tranquility means what? It means peace. Armstrong and Aldrin found a tranquil and peace, peaceful scene on the moon. Why? Watch this now. There had never been any humans there to disturb the peace. Alright? So where there are no humans, watch this now, there is no sin. Where there is no sin, there is peace. So you want to take away peace? Put sinful humans in charge of something. And I guarantee you peace will flee, it will fly away, it will be nowhere to be found. You know why it's tranquil on the moon? Because there's no humans there to make it otherwise. If you were to populate the moon, it wouldn't be the sea of tranquility anymore. It would be the sea of warfare. All right, People would be fighting over the, the moon. There would be ideologies that would be different. And, and, and there would be clashes. You'd have some home up there, the husband and wife and kids that live there. And it wouldn't be the sea of tranquility because they'd be having a marital fight. They'd be fighting with the rebellious teenagers. And it wouldn't be the sea of tranquility anymore. All right, And so it's the sea of tranquility because there are no humans there. Because where there are humans, there is sin. And uh, where there is sin, there is no peace. The Bible makes this point in Isaiah 48:22. In fact, turn over there for me. Turn to Isaiah chapter 48. We're going to be there in um, our study through Isaiah in, in, in a couple of months. But uh, turn over to Isaiah 48. Look at verse 22. Everybody there? Brother Sean, can you read that verse for us? There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. So if you're living wickedly, there's no peace. There's no peace. I, I'm going to say this. I'm not going to ask somebody to raise their hand, but you ever done something wrong and felt, to, and, and maybe no one but you and God knew it, and you just felt miserable all day, the rest of the day? There's no peace inwardly. Because you've crossed the line, and you and God know it. And now you get the Spirit of God poking you and prodding you. Peace has, has, has flown away. Someone once famously said about sin, you've probably heard this quote before, sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, 
and keep you longer than you want to stay. Isn't that true about sin? I'm just going to dabble in it. And the next thing you know, you're hooked. Well, I'm only going to walk this far down the path in that. The next thing you know, you're miles down the road. Well, I'm only going to, I'm only going to spend this much on my sin. And the next thing you know, your bank account's empty and you're thousands of dollars in. How many people have lost a house, lost their marriage over a gambling addiction? How many people have spent their paycheck on a Friday at a bar, right, a good chunk of it, only not be able to pay the mortgage and pay the electric bill, and now, you know, the water's getting turned off, but you know what, someone's drunk, drunk themselves uh, uh, into a place of problems. Sin cost, always costs more uh, than you want it to. And if it doesn't, co- if you've got enough money to spend on your sin habits, it will cost you relationships, it, it will cost you uh, uh, inner peace, it will cost you a whole bunch. Letter A, notice about the pain of sinful pride. Notice it's our own sin. Our own sin. Sunday night we talked about when God confronts your sin, and I said there are five usual responses when we do wrong, right? And I don't remember all five of them were off the, were off the top of my head, but deflect, deny, right? For two of them, defend yourself, okay? Uh, change the subject, right? Um, blame, blame is one of them. We're really good at blaming others for our own sin, right? Most of the time when peace is interrupted in our own lives, it is due to our own sin. Now, you may not want to admit that. We're all really good at justifying our own sin. We're all good at it, right? Well, it's not that bad. Yes, it is. Okay? But I only did it one time. No, you probably did it more than that. Right? And, um, well, there were a whole lot of other factors as to why I lost my job. Okay, that might be, but if you had not been a knucklehead and done wrong, you wouldn't have lost your job, right? So before you go off blaming everybody else and everything else, why don't you stand in a mirror, look yourself in the eye and say, it's that guy's fault right there, right? Our own sin. And you say, well, but I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, let me ask you this. At the very least, did you lack the prudence to foresee evil and hide yourself from it. Because sometimes other people do us wrong, but we're too gullible to get out of the way. We're, we're too oblivious. And had you been walking with God, and had you been led by the Spirit of God, then you wouldn't have walked into that problem. And indirectly, that's a sin, because you're not walking by the Spirit. And so uh, the pain of sinful pride, it hurts our peace. When we're walking in pride, uh, we experience the pain of a fleeting peace. Letter B, others sin. Others sin. Sometimes others may sin and we feel the ill effects of their bad choices. Um, uh, I've heard stories of couples who've gone through very difficult situations such as a child dying or uh, some other uh, hardship and one of the two uh, in the marriage maybe begins to drink or it alters their personality. I I knew of, this was more of a funny story, but I knew of a couple when I was a little boy in Mississippi. They owned a restaurant, a couple owned a restaurant. The husband had a tumor in his brain, and it caused him to have a complete personality change. And he went from being talkative to extremely quiet. And uh, uh, other than that, it didn't alter him much, but became very much an introvert. And they didn't know why it took them years to get it properly diagnosed. And 
um, the wife became in charge in the relationship because the husband just became so deferential that he wasn't leading anymore. He went from being an alpha male to a total beta male because of this tumor. And uh, the wife got used to being in charge. And lo and behold, they found the tumor and they found the problem. He went through surgery and had the tumor removed. And the next thing you know, he's right back to being an alpha male. Now they're having serious marriage problems. They had to work through that, right? Uh, it went from him being in charge of the restaurant to, uh, to him now just cleaning and her running the show. Well, she didn't want to give up the position of running the restaurant to him. And uh, they, had a, they, had, they had a battle over that. And they had struggles over that. And, you know, sometimes other people can sin against you and it can really hurt you. It can affect your peace. I'm thinking about children who are taken advantage of uh, and abused when they're little. I'm, I'm talking about homes where children grow up with an angry mother or an angry father that uh, are constantly berating them or even fighting with each other. And a child falls asleep with pulling the pillow over their head. Open the uh, parents will stop uh, throwing things at each other and being unkind to each other. And now all of a sudden there is a missing piece in your heart because you've grown up in a home where you have been psychologically and emotionally damaged in those formative years. I'm thinking about someone who's driving home from work only to be hit uh, by a drunk driver and have their entire life changed because someone they love was killed uh, and, and, and by someone else's sin. And uh, sometimes other people are living in sin and we're doing nothing wrong and there's nothing we could have done about it. And lo and behold, their sin deeply Hurts us. Letter number one, rather, we see the pride, uh, uh, the the pain of sinful pride. Number two, notice the price of peace. The price of peace. Turn over to Exodus chapter number 20 in your Bibles. Exodus 20 and verse number 24. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 24. Brother Lexton, when you have found that, could you read that for us? So notice there it says, and thy peace offerings. Thy peace offerings. In fact, there are 85 verses of Scripture. God talks about mankind providing a peace offering. Now we're talking about peace, being a peacemaker tonight. And so we, if 85 times the Bible talks about a peace offering, and we want to know the topic of peace and how to have it in our own heart, I think we should understand how that peace offering plays into that equation. So Christ became all of the Old Testament offerings on the cross. There are five major offerings in the book of Leviticus that the Israelites were told to do or told to perform. One of them was a peace offering, and Christ became that when he died on the cross. All of those were arrows that pointed to Christ, and Christ was our peace offering. Uh, Christ became our sin so that you and I might have peace with God. Our peace with God, watch this now, cost Christ his life. Now you see how that peace has a price. For you and I to have peace with God, it cost Christ his life. What was our peace offering? Rather, who was our peace offering? 
It was Jesus Christ. Peace always comes at a price. Peace always comes at a price. If there's strife between you and someone else, peace is going to come at a price. Dr. Robert Oppenheimer, who supervised the creation of the first atomic bomb, appeared before a congressional committee. They inquired of him if there were any defense uh, if there was any defense against the atomic bomb. Certainly, the great uh, physicist replied, and that is, Dr. Oppenheimer looked over the hushed, expectant congressional audience, and he whispered into the microphone simply the word, peace. Peace. You see, for the atomic bomb to not be dropped, there would need to be a serious amount of peace in that war. Uh, there's a story about a soldier who was set to deploy to the Middle East back during the second, um, uh, second desert storm. And um, the, uh, the adult man was married, had an eight-year-old boy. And so he's getting his bags packed to go off the war, another deployment in the war. And the eight-year-old boy came to his dad and he said, Dad, I don't understand why you have to go over there and fight another country's war. And the dad took the little boy over to the window of their living room and he said, Imagine, if you will, that there's a thief who comes along and breaks into Mrs. Wilson's house across the street there. Right in plain daylight. And we're standing right here watching. And that thief breaks in Mrs. Wilson's house. He grabs her by the back of the hair. He drags her out of the house and he beats her and he leaves her with a broken arm and a bloody nose and he steals everything uh, that she has and he does it right in front of us and we sit here and say, well, that's just her problem. I just don't think I, I want to be inconvenienced and I want to deal with that. The father continued, and let's say the same thief became emboldened by the fact that he got away with that and uh, that sin, and he decides to go to the next door and do the same thing to the Fitzpatrick family. He then goes door to door, gets stronger, gets more bold, and steal, steals more things. Um, uh, now he shows up at our doorstep, and we've waited too late to stop him. The little boy said with a tear in his eye to his dad, he said, Are you going over there to fight the bad guys so that they don't come over here? That's exactly right, son. If we want peace here, then we've got to keep the bad guys fighting over there. What is the price? Now, that's speaking of our nation's peace. What is the price of personal peace? Watch this now. It's that you go to war against personal sin. You cannot let sin have room in your life and expect you to have peace inside. Here we want to live in the devil's sin and then complain about all of the emotional struggles that we have. We want, to, we want to go and watch what we want on TV, listen to music that uh, you know, makes us feel good, that glorifies sex, sin, and self, and then uh, we want to drink and put whatever we want to in our body, but then complain about mental health struggles. Peace comes at a price, and that price 
is that you go to war against personal sin. If you're not willing to take on personal sin in your life and declare war on it and fight against it, then listen, you just have to expect that you're going to battle with strife within your heart in relationships with others. The price of peace. I want to ask you a question tonight. How bad do you want it? A lot of people complain about how bad their life is. But they're not willing to go to war against their own sin. What was the way I was raised? I was at a disadvantage growing up. And my parents neglected me. My, my, my family didn't give me what I needed. And, and I was abused. And I was hurt. And life's dealt me an unfair hand. And it's not fair. Okay? All of that might be true. I'll give it to you. But now you're an adult. So it's time for you to take some personal responsibility and declare war on the sin that exists in your own life and ask God to give you peace. The price of peace. Number three, let's talk about the prince of peace. The prince of peace. Go back to Isaiah chapter 6. Go back to Isaiah. Turn to chapter number 6. Look at verse number 9. Isaiah chapter 6. Brother Okai, could you help us out? Get to Isaiah chapter 6. Could you read verse 9 for us? Beautiful verse in the Bible. Hold on. Hold on. Isaiah 6, verse 9. Oh, I think I've got the wrong verse in my notes. 9 6. Let's try that one. <laughs> I got my numbers inverted. It should say, for unto us a child is born. Is that 9-6? Okay. Read 9-6 for me, brother, okay? Who is the Prince of Peace? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. What are we about here at White Oak Baptist Church? Are we about glorifying a man? Absolutely not. All right? I do not want White Oak Baptist Church to be built on Barry Brown, Michael Peslak, or Richard Lejeune. We are not the foundation of this church. Jesus is the foundation of this church. We follow Christ. And if there's a man who's doing it well... Get in behind them. Ladies, if there's another lady in our church that's doing that well, get in behind her and follow her as she follows Christ. At the end of the day, I'm not the Prince of Peace because I'm still battling sin like you are. And I'm going to battle sin until I get to heaven. But listen, I want to get in behind Jesus and I want to encourage you to develop a relationship with Jesus because He is the Prince of Peace. To the degree you have a relationship with Jesus, to that degree you're going to find peace in your life. So in order to best understand the Prince of Peace, we must observe Christ at the very apex of the time of His duress. Turn over to John 19. John 19 and verse 16. We must observe Him at a time when He was anything but peaceful. The Prince of Peace put through the throes of agony and distress and pain there on the cross. John 19, and let's look at verse number 16. Brother Jason, when you get there, could you read verse 16, 17, and 18? John 19. Yes, sir. 
16, 16 through 18. Yes, sir. Golgotha. Where they crucified him and two others with him on either side, one in Egypt and the other. Wow, here the Prince of Peace is being nailed to a cross. I, I think that if that happened to us, we'd call it a very bad day. Okay? I don't think any of us would uh, think to ourselves, boy, today's a peaceful day. Would we? Get nailed to a cross? Look down at verse 28. The Bible says in verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Remember the absence that remember the absence of sin is where you find peace. We talked about that. Where there is no sin, there is peace. When Jesus became our sin, peace left him. Because the Bible says he was troubled in his spirit. Second Corinthians five twenty one says, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus became our sin on the cross, Peace fled from him. Once Christ had endured our sin, he uttered the words, It is finished. Pay very close attention to those words. The Greek word, it is finished, is the word tetelestai. Tetelestai. If you have charged a great deal to an account and you were making payments on that account, uh, you had a ledger sheet and on there it would have the debt you owed, sort of like a credit card statement, and you make payments and slowly but surely you're paying that thing off and all of a sudden you might get a letter. Let me back up and use a different analogy. You're paying off a mortgage and you get that monthly statement in the mail. All of a sudden you get that last statement in the mail after 30 years of paying and it says your mortgage is paid in full. And you know what you do? You go out to dinner and you celebrate. Right? $1,900 dinner, right? No, you don't, don't do that. But you, you celebrate, right? You paid in full. And uh, listen, when Jesus paid your sin, He stamped on your ledger card of all the sins you've committed, paid in full, paid in full. Listen, He paid your sin debt. In fact, now you can have peace with God because Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, He absorbed your sin in His body. He paid it all so that you can have peace with God in heaven. That is why Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now let's move on and talk about number four, the position of peacemaker. The position of peacemaker. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 5. All right, a lot of that was groundwork to get to the answer to our question tonight. Are you a peacemaker? All right? Are you a peacemaker? Let's talk about being a peacemaker here for a minute. 2 Corinthians 5. So the book of 1 Corinthians is a collection of six essays that were reprimands against the church of Corinth. And I mean scathing, scathing reprimands. 
Here Paul, who had founded the church of Corinth, the church of Corinth had gone rogue. They were in false doctrine. Uh, they had all kinds of sexual issues. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were speaking out in, in tongues the wrong way. Uh, they were abusing the gifts of God. Uh, they had women that were leading the church, and Paul ripped them for that. And he goes on and on and on. And it's six essays where he just says, y'all got this whole thing wrong. And it was not well received by the church of Corinth. And then... Through some time and, 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 and reconciliation, they were able to fix things. And then Paul wrote the, the letter of 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the church of Corinth that's recorded in Scripture. It's actually the third letter, but the second one that's Holy Scripture. And this is about Paul being reconciled to the church. Now, he's going to use an analogy of reconciling to God and then us having a ministry of reconciliation. What does it mean to reconcile? Let's say that uh, Carl here and Brother Okai, let's say, say they get into a fist fight out in the parking lot, all right? Brother Okai wouldn't get in a fist fight with anybody. Nicest guy in the world. Carl's a nice guy. I don't think that would happen. So I can use this example, okay? And let's say Lexton here, he says, you know what? I like Carl and I like Brother Okai. And I, I don't like the fact these two guys are fighting. You know what? I'm going to go have a conversation with Brother Okai and I'm going to have a conversation with Carl. And now I'm going to bring them together and we're going to fix this thing, all right? So, Carl, Brother Okai, get things reconciled. These guys, I don't even know if they even met each other, but thank you for being willing to be an active illustration this evening, okay? And now th this is fixed. Lexton's the mediator. Everything's good to go. Everything's fixed. Everything's right. Now, you and I, we have a problem with God. God has a problem with us over our sin, and how is that fixed? Jesus is our mediator. He stepped down. He absorbed the wrath of God on the cross. He went through hell for us on the cross so that us, we now can be uh, reconciled with God. Now, let's say you know two people that have a problem with each other. Being a peacemaker means you are the mediator. You're able to reconcile those differences. Look at chapter 5, look at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are of God. Look here who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. God loved you so much, he hated your sin, he sent Jesus to die in your place. And so Jesus is the mediator between us and God. Look at the rest of the verse. And hath given to us, look here, given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You know what that means? You, by obligation, by proxy, you are called to be a peacemaker. You were saved... By grace through Christ, now God's given you. You say, well, I didn't sign up for that. By accepting the gift of eternal life, you signed up for that. All right? You now have an obligation to be a peacemaker, to reconcile to others. Notice there, underline that in your Bible if you haven't already, the ministry of reconciliation. Look at 19. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of of reconciliation, so the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation. Now then, here we go, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That means we're to be peacemakers. If you have been saved in Christ, then you have been reconciled back to God. Your debt with Him has been settled. You now have peace with God. How was this accomplished? 
Christ took on the ministry of reconciliation or the, uh, the, the position of peacemaking in order to restore you and provide you that peace. He now hands you the baton. He says, here you go. All right, it's your turn. All right, uh, God has reconciled himself, you to himself through Christ. He hands you the baton and hands you the baton and hands you the baton and hands you the baton. And if you're a believer, he's handed you the baton and says, now it's your turn to go make peace with others. You know, Christians aren't supposed to be at odds with each other. There shouldn't be a single Christian on this planet that you have a problem with. Shouldn't be one. You say, Pastor Lejeune, are there people walking this planet that have a problem with you? Yes, there are, unfortunately. There's a handful of people walking this planet. If I were to walk in the room they were in, they would immediately not be happy about it. They don't like me. They just don't. I wish that wasn't true. I've lost sleep over the fact that it isn't true, but it's true. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, if they walked in the room where you were, would you walk out? No? Uh Uh-uh. I'm ready to reconcile with them. That's all I can do. They want to make peace with me? We'll talk. I'm ready to fix things. I can't make them want it. But I can be ready. I can be ready. Why? I've been handed the baton of reconciliation. And I've been told by God that it's my duty to make peace with anyone and everyone who's ready to do so. Have you accepted God's call to you to bring peace around you? You must make it your goal to love sinners and hate sin. You must make it your goal to see sin removed from people's lives so that they can find peace with God. Isaiah 48, 22, remember, There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. If we are to be peacemakers, then we must humbly and carefully help others remove sin from their lifestyle. So let me talk about this in two levels. Let's say that um, Jason and I here have a disagreement, all right? And Jason and I, we're good friends, but let's say Jason and I have a disagreement. Now Jason and I, we're not on good terms. I'm to keep my heart tender so that when Jason's ready to fix things, we fix things. I'm going to talk about Sean over here. Let's say that Sean doesn't have any issue with me. We like each other. We like each other, right, Sean? We're, we're buddies, right? Okay. But let's say that I see things, and again, this is just an illustration. I'm not, I'm not saying this is true, okay? But let's just say Sean over here had some things in his life that I could see were uh, disruptions in his heart uh, because of sin that he had active in his life. But I have influence with him. You know what I'm to do? I'm to come along his side and I'm going to say, hey, you know, Sean, let's work on this because this is stealing your joy. This is stealing your peace. And as I help him, humbly help him deal with his sin, now all of a sudden his peace goes up because his sin's being dealt with. Now, I'm not to go to him and put my finger in his face and say, you're a wicked, wretched sinner and that's why you have no peace. That doesn't get it done. I'm not preaching to him. I'm trying to help him. Who in your life Who in your life is lacking peace because their life is just wrecked by sin? And they like you. It's your duty to come alongside and try to help them. Now, will everybody let you help them? Nope. Nope. You know what I've learned? Listen up. I hope you're not missing this. We're almost done. You can't fix people. 
How many of you live life long enough to learn you can't fix people? Because you tried and failed. Okay? Can't fix people. You know who fixes people? God fixes people. God changes people. But you know what you can do? You can get on your knees and you can pray for people. You can pray for people. You know how many times? I'm, I'm being serious. I'm not being sensational. And I'm not just trying to be cute. I mean this. You know how many times that my wife has seen something in me over 15 years that she didn't like? And I found out later she was praying for me and God changed me through her prayers? More than once. That sure works a lot better than her telling me, you need to stop, you need to change, you need to change, you need to change. You've been called to be a peacemaker. Then you pray to the Prince of Peace that he helps them. Now, people come to you for help. Boy, influence them, but don't try to control people. Number five, lastly, notice the prize for peacemakers. Look at verse number nine again in Matthew 5 where we began. We went all the way around the the Bible. We came back to our original text. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. One of the few things people know about Jesus Christ is that he died on the cross. They know that he came to bring peace to mankind. Now, Christmas time is coming shortly, and we're going to be singing about, not Santa Claus. I mean, maybe we will a little bit, but that's not what Christmas is about, is it? It's about Christ. Keep Christ in Christmas. We sing about Christ, who came in the form of a baby to bring what? Peace toward earth, goodwill to man. And we go around with peace in our hearts and we help others to know peace. Uh, uh, what we will find is that people will label us the children of God. If I have someone come in my office who's going through a hardship, who's not a regular attender of our church, and I have that happen, oh, I don't know, half a dozen to a dozen times a year, depending on the year, um, I always begin with, where are you going to go when you die? You know what I see? People whose lives are a mess, who don't go to church here, they're not even saved. They've not met the Prince of Peace. You start there with people. Let me tell you how you can be a Christian. And let me help you become a child of God. Because that's step one to finding peace. I hope you learned some things tonight about peace, what it is, what it isn't. Deal with sin in your life. Don't point the finger at anyone else. Alright? Look at yourself and say, I've got to be better. Lord, help me to overcome this sin because where sin is present, peace is absent. Right? So let's, let's work on that. Develop that relationship with the Prince of Peace and seek to be a peacemaker to those around you. All right, let's stand together.